On behalf of Trustwave Government Solutions and Kerasoft, we would like to welcome you to today's podcast, focused around evolving your posture for emerging ransomware trends, where you will hear from Grayson Lenick, Director of Consulting and Professional Services at Trustwave Government Solutions, share his expertise on the evolution of ransomware and break down a case study of a recent ransomware attack. My name is Grayson Lenick. I am the Director of Consulting and Professional Services for Trustwave Government Solutions. Uh, if you're not familiar with Trustwave Government Solutions, uh, we are a, a small arm of a very large company named Trustwave. Uh, we focus specifically on providing cybersecurity software solutions and services to the federal government and its civilian agencies. Uh, if you want any more information about TGS as a whole, I would love to answer some questions for you. Uh, either after the session or please feel free to contact me offline. Uh, there will be uh, an email slide at, or my email addresses will be at the uh, end of the presentation here. So uh, just a little bit about me. Uh, again, I lead the, the spider labs and the professional services organizations for, um, for Trustwave Government Solutions, meaning that I have an army of uh, penetration testers, incident responders, and product support consultants that work for me. Uh, so I get to, uh, I get to, to, to play host to a lot of great information and see a lot of great results from different, uh, different pieces of cybersecurity uh, from those guys. Um, I am a regular presenter and an instructor as well. I've been training law enforcement for, uh, for almost 15 years now um, as, uh, as part of my um, you know, job. And uh, that, that relies very heavily on my 12 plus years as an incident responder. Um, aside from that, though, I've been in technology basically uh, my entire life, um, ever since I got out of high school, including um, seven years with the United States Navy as an F-18 avionics technician. So again, I've just been involved with, uh, with either cyber, computers, or electronics for, for most of my adult life. Uh, I do carry a handful of certifications, including the GCFA, uh, the CISSP, and most recently, I uh, got certified uh, to uh, as an RP in the CMMC ecosystem. Here's our agenda for today's talk. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, ransomware and, and really try to help you define it. Uh, talk about some updated statistics and a little bit of history, uh, as well as talk about some specific ransomware variants and the targets that we see being attacked with those variants. Um, we'll talk a little bit for the, uh, for the tech folks and the defenders out there. We'll talk a little bit about attack vectors. Uh, we'll walk through a case study from a ransomware in, uh, process from infect, infection all the way through to encryption. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about indicators of compromise and where you can go find them. And then finally, uh, some conclusions and uh, just a little bit of general advice from uh, yours truly. Um, ransomware is a malware family that commonly targets human flaws for the initial attack vector and uses encryption technology to block access to files that a business an agency or an organization would deem mission critical. Uh, attackers will frequently communicate with their victims to negotiate a fee, and that fee will then allow them to uh, download a decryptor and unlock the data. Uh, and in many cases, they'll actually provide proof that they can successfully decrypt your data. Uh, the ransom payment itself is normally requested in cryptocurrency uh, like Bitcoin, uh, Dash, or Monero. And actually, it's interesting to have watched this, uh, this unfold over the last couple of years and watch them move around from privacy coin to privacy coin uh, to, uh, to attempt to uh, eliminate detection. 
But make no mistake, a ransomware attack is a full network compromise. Uh, normally, we're seeing attackers get a foothold. And before they know what you would deem mission critical, they have to know a little bit more about your domain, about what your internal systems look like, and what would be deemed mission critical. So we frequently, during our investigations, we see ransomware attackers uh, starting with something simple, like a fish, or simple remote access, and maybe some compromised credentials or easy-to-guess credentials. But they're then moving laterally, and they're working their way through your network um, doing things like harvesting credentials, uh, mapping out your internal organization, and finding what's most mission critical to your organization. So again, a ransomware attack is a full network compromise, and it should be treated that way. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about some statistics. And um, these were recently updated thanks to the IC3, and they, they put out an annual report. Um, and up at the top there, you can see that I say IC3 statistics miss the mark. And uh, this is unfortunate, but true. Uh, although the, the numbers are continuing to get um, what we feel is better or more representative of the overall landscape. Uh, the problem is, is that a lot of people just don't report this type of thing. And when they do, they don't necessarily go straight to the FBI and say, hey, guess what? I was hit by ransomware. So it's understandable and they've got a statement there. Uh, but in their 2020 report, uh, they have 2,474 unique victims that were reported with a loss of over $29.1 million. Uh, I know for a fact that that $29.1 million um, report is low because I personally, or at least secondhand, know of a $10 million ransom that was paid in recent history. So that, that's you know, a full third of, of that, uh, that number there, okay? And the FBI and the IC3 actually acknowledge that the number is low. They say it doesn't, uh, uh, regarding ransomware adjusted losses, it does not include estimates of lost business, time, wages, files, or equipment, or any third-party remediation services acquired by a victim. And in some cases, victims don't report any loss amount to the FBI. So they're acknowledging that, uh, that their numbers are as good as they can get, but uh, are, are not actually 100% accurate. Uh, if you're interested in the IC3 report, it is good reading, and it's very interesting for people uh, in the director or CISO roles to have that information at hand. And there is a link there at the bottom of the page. Uh, and again, first and secondhand knowledge from uh, me and my buddies in the uh, incident response underground uh, that there are many, many more millions uh, in losses than those numbers report. Uh, some more statistics, uh, this time from the private sector. Um, I'm not affiliated with Coveware. Coveware is actually a competing company, but they do a fantastic job of reporting on what they see and their place in the market is uh, as a ransomware specialist. Uh, we're very fortunate that uh, the guys over at Coveware or the folks over at Coveware do produce a report every year and they, they produce it quarterly. So their blog is pretty great for statistics. Um, in Q3 and Q4 of 2020, the average ransom payment decreased by 34%, which is good news, uh, but that's still a very high number. Uh, the average payment went from an average of 233,000 down to about 154,000. So still very, very steep. Um, some more interesting statistics that they reported, 98% of companies that did pay received a working decryptor. So uh, we know that the attackers behind ransomware are actually doing a pretty good job of keeping track of their clients because if they can't prove 
that they can decrypt data, then why would anyone even consider paying a ransom? Okay, so that's why that number is so high. And then 97% of uh, people that received a decryptor were actually able to successfully recover their data, which again is a pretty high number. Uh, they reported that 70% of ransomware attacks involved a threat to uh, leak exfiltrated data, uh, which is up 43% from Q3 of 2020. Uh, so that's a, that represents a change in tactics. Instead of just saying, if you ever want access to your data again, you need to pay, to saying, not only do you need to pay us to get access, but we've already exfiltrated data from you. And here's the sensitive data. Do you want your CEO's inbox uh, out and available for public consumption? Uh, and they use that as further pressure to gain ransomware payments and successful payments. Uh, they reported from their client base, a 21 day average downtime from a ransomware attack. So we're talking three full weeks, uh, enough to put a lot of businesses under. And 99% of the ransoms were demanded in Bitcoin, uh, which has always been interesting to me because Bitcoin is, uh, as far as cryptocurrencies go, relatively easy to track. There are privacy coins, which are much more difficult. Um, so, you know, we can talk about that a little bit more later, but I've always felt like that was uh, somewhat interesting. Uh, some more statistics from the private sector around common variants. Uh, the top three currently are Sodanokibi, Egregor, and Ryuk. We're going to talk a little bit more about um, some of these and another one named Conti uh, as we uh, move through the, uh, the, the, uh, the talk here. Uh, but before we get there, let's talk real quickly about a brief history because ransomware has gained a lot of notoriety in the past couple of years, but it's actually been around a very long time uh, with different, uh, different organizations and different uh, sort of mutations and uh, different ways that ransomware has been used. Um, as far as the historical timeline goes, uh, 1989 was the first known instance of ransomware. It was what's called the AIDS Trojan, when, and it was created by a Harvard biologist who actually distributed about 20,000 floppy disks, three and a half inch floppy disks, at a conference for the, for the WHO. He demanded $189 for people to, get, to, to regain access to their systems. Uh, he was subsequently caught, actually. So he, uh, he used a real address um, for payment, and uh, the FBI was able to track that address and go and arrest this guy. That's why we know so much about him. So that was the very first one. Uh, and then we didn't hear a lot about ransomware again until 2006, when things started to change. And then from there, they started changing very, very quickly. So in 2006, we saw the Archivist Trojan that encrypted just the My Documents directory. Uh, 2012, the Reviton malware appears. Uh, Reviton was a fake notice that purported to be from the FBI or another federal agency that was notifying users of pornographic content on their system and really popped up as more of a screensaver that could be gotten around if you knew the right uh, shortcuts and could actually be removed. It, it was not real. Um, however, there's a bright side to this malware. So it was so widespread that it actually made it onto the computer of a handful of people that were um, into child pornography. And they actually received this notice 
and reported themselves to law enforcement. And there are three or four documented cases of that happening where they said, oh, that's it, I'm, I'm caught, I have been doing this, and turned themselves in. So a little silver lining on the whole Reviton malware. Uh, September of 2013, we see the first version of CryptoLocker, which was a very, very popular ransomware for a number of years. And then a copycat of that one named simply Locker appears in December of 2013. Uh, 2014, we saw CryptoWall, CTP Locker, and SysPang appear, none of which I've seen in, in probably since 2014 or 2015. Um, they've just gone away. Um, and then 2015, uh, we started seeing mobile variants and Linux variants appear along with Chimera. And also we started seeing ransomware as a service. If you're not familiar with ransomware as a service, this is where there are a, a team of coders who are producing ransomware and consoles to actually control it. And then they sell it almost like an enterprise licensing agreement that you would get from Microsoft. They will sell you 50 or 100 licenses to use their particular malware. And in turn, they offer you a control panel to control and extort the people that you've infected. So that, that's ransomware as a service in a nutshell. Uh, it's pretty crazy. And then in 2016, we started seeing Mac variants. We saw Jigsaw. We saw Petya and not Petya. And, and that sort of led us into the modern ransomware area or era where we are now. So let's talk a little bit more in depth about some of the most popular variants and the targets that we're seeing. So Sodenokibi was, uh, was mentioned earlier, and uh, this is a fairly, this is a well-kept malware. Uh, they're frequently updating it. They change the signature. They add new evasions for antivirus. Uh, very, very popular, uh, but most prolific in Europe and Asia. Now, we do see it in the United States, and, you know, the, these, these statistics can change at nearly any time. Uh, new, new variant, uh, this was released in April of 2019. Um, they, they are a ransomware as a service crew but they actually limit their affiliates, which, which might explain why uh, it's most prolific in Europe and Asia. Uh, they seem to have a partner network of, uh, of known bad guys, and they sell specifically to their known bad guys, which is very interesting to, uh, to watch as sort of the honor among thieves here. Um, they are known for some, some more skilled attacks and for actually leveraging exploits, um, but they do still use phishing as, the, as one of their main, um, their main attack vectors. And they do still attack weak usernames and passwords. And, uh, and we're gonna continue to talk about phishing and those attack vectors here as we go through the presentation. Um, they were actually, this group was, was actually seen attacking managed service providers and pushing malware to all users of that managed service provider. So, you know, just like, uh, you know, we've seen with the supply chain breach with SolarWinds, and we're seeing the, uh, the pressure on the, the overall supply chain from, from CMMC and things like that, uh, make sure that you're vetting your managed services providers. And, and we're a managed service provider, TrustWave does this. Uh, but again, I, I encourage you to, uh, to vet people. Hey, Ryuk um, is probably the most popular by name of any ransomware. Um, it's very similar to an older variant called BitPamer in many regards. Uh, they're known for responsive attackers. In other words, when you see the, uh, the, the note that's up on the screen here that, that tells you what to do, tells you who to contact, they're known to be very, very responsive and have 24-hour support. 
they actually have a help desk set up for people that have never used cryptocurrency before. So that to, to help them set up an account and attach their bank account and pay their ransoms. Um, they're also known to negotiate and they start with very high initial ransom demands. So if, uh, if you are unfortunate enough to get hit by this crew, uh, hire somebody to help negotiate for you. Um, somebody that has some experience dealing with these kinds of things. Because if you decide, which I don't recommend, but if you do decide that paying a ransom is where you want to go to get your business back online, uh, get some help is, is definitely my advice there. Um, it is commonly bundled with other malware and banking trojans, which has been interesting to see a resurgence of things like TrickBot and, and a few other things. Uh, and their main attack vector is, is usually phishing and sometimes delivery of spam emails rather than direct phishing. Uh, they're known to explore victim networks with PowerShell Empire, which is a very, very popular mapping tool and other known attack tools, pieces of the, the Metasploit toolkit. They're known to dump credentials from memory with Mimikatz and things like that. So they do use some relatively popular and well-known attack tools. Uh, and this crew is known to uh, threaten victims with release of emails, data, or other sensitive information. Okay, so that's Ryuk. Uh, Egregor is a uh, is one that was that was just recently seen in September of 2020. So as far as variants go, this is pretty new. Um, they use double extortion tactics by releasing exfiltrated data to pressure the victims into paying. Um, they moved from moved to Egregor from a ransomware group called Maze. And if, if memory serves correctly, the Maze group was taken down, but some of their affiliates were not captured and, and went right back into this business. Um, this malware is commonly distributed by a dropper called QuackBot, um, and you also see URSniff and IceID. Their ransom demands are generally high, and they generally go after high-profile targets. They ask for somewhere between $700,000 and $4 million on average. And on February 9th, a joint operation by the US, the Ukraine, and French authorities resulted in the arrest of gang members behind Egregor, as well as some of the associates who are part of their affiliate program. So again, ransomware as a service. So that's a great job by, uh, by law enforcement across uh, multiple borders to catch these guys. And then the last one that we're going to talk about today, just because of time, is Conti. Uh, Conti was uh, first observed in December of 2019. Uh, it appears to be a replacement for the Ryuk malware, which again is very, very popular. We've already talked about it. Uh, they pressure victims into paying by releasing exfiltrated data on their own website, continews.best, which right now, I actually didn't check it today, but last week when I was updating these slides, uh, that site was down, had been taken down by, by law enforcement, I believe. Uh, this Conti ransomware is being used to target corporate and government networks, right? Everybody, I'm sure, has seen uh, a lot of state and local governments and, and things like townships and water supply systems and things like that, and uh, the ability to pay your water bill. A lot of stuff like that has been uh, taken down by, by these guys. Um, they commonly distribute their malware with TrickBot, and their ransom demands have been up to $40 million, which was what was reported by uh, Broward County, Florida, and the big school system attack that they had there. So that's a, uh, that's a big one. That's a huge malware or a huge ransom. 
Uh, again, attack vector. So we've already talked about this and mentioned it quite a few times while we were talking about the specific malwares, but uh, I wanted to make sure that we point directly at some specific attack vectors because that will help you defend yourself. So how are they getting in initially? Um, talked about some of the malware crews or some of the ransomware crews that were leveraging actual exploits for access, right? They are exploiting software, they're exploiting protocols, they are doing some what I would call real hacking, but the vast majority of breaches leverage phishing. And uh, I would say just uh, again, anecdotally from the, the cases that I've seen, I, I think it's probably better than 70%, more than seven out of 10, it's phishing with the majority of the rest then being remote access and weak credentials, um, but not necessarily always weak credentials. A lot of times it's just compromised credentials. And if you're not aware of the underground business for selling compromised credentials, uh, you should be. Just like business email compromises, um, there are huge databases full of leaked credentials out there. Um, some of these are for sale, some of them are for free, and you can just go download them if you have the links. Um, and then it, also there's credentials that are for sale from most major companies. Um, we did a little exploration out there on the, uh, the darker side of the web. And uh, this was actually uh, when you were on one of the, the dark web forums, these ads rotated through. And uh, I, I thought that these were just, uh, it was so blatant. I thought that it was actually an interesting screenshot for, uh, for this particular um, presentation. So you can see that there's an online store here where you can buy accounts. And you can see the cost there, $10, $16, $19 a piece. And you can see some of the most, some of the largest companies in the world um, have accounts for sale, right? So if you have an opportunity to attack someone and you want to place malware, uh, one of your options is to go spend 10, 20, 100, $500 on some accounts and see what kind of luck you have and infiltrate that way. So just be aware that, um, that there are accounts out there. And especially if you're in the government because .mil and .gov accounts tend to sell for more than private company accounts. So just be aware of this kind of stuff. All right, moving forward here, let's talk a little bit about the process. And uh, this, is, this is good stuff for, uh, for, I think, everybody in the cybersecurity chain from, uh, from CISOs and leaders all the way on down to help desk. It's interesting to note what the actual process of getting infected by ransomware looks like. So here we go. Phase one is our initial access, right? And um, this is taken, this is a direct case study that we put together from, uh, from a case that we worked at Trustway. So um, a phishing email with an attachment or a link is sent to the potential victim. The attachment is typically a Microsoft Word document with a macro. And that macro will generally download a dropper like TrickBot or Emotet to the system. Um, some of the other uh, uh, ransomwares have their own dropper, but, but they all sim work very, very similarly, okay? So you receive a, uh, a document that's got a macro and it it downloads a little piece of software that's only role in life is to go get other software. Okay, phase two, they don't wanna just compromise a single desktop or a single user. They want to create what's called persistence. Um, in this case, the Emotet malware wrote itself to the run registry key, which means that every time the system is booted up and that user logs on, it will launch the Emotet malware so that it can survive a reboot 
and has an opportunity to, uh, to stay persistent on the system for more than just a few minutes. Okay, other mechanisms like Windows Task Scheduler, we've also seen those being leveraged um, and actual ransomware will sometimes mirror that same process with by either setting itself up as a scheduled task or by creating a, uh, a registry entry. Um, Emotet's particularly nasty because it also injects itself into processes that are already running um, and sort of migrates itself around to make it harder to get rid of and harder to recognize. So there's some pretty advanced stuff out there. Okay, the third phase is uh, phoning home where the malware then contacts its command and control. That's what C2 stands for if you're not familiar with that term, command and control. It notifies the command server of a new infection and then receives instructions like go out and pull down this malware and then send me the key. Um, the droppers then use various built-in modules or download tools to do things like obtain credentials, which we talked about. Identify network shares, especially backups is one of the things that, that we've seen them spending a considerable amount of time to encrypt is if backups are online, that's one of the first things they want to encrypt so that you can't just say, get bent, attacker, I have good backups. So watch out for that. Make sure you're keeping backups somewhere offline. Okay, they're also going to attempt to identify sensitive data on the network and set up multiple remote access backdoors to the network. Uh, we do see them using all kinds of different stuff to plant multiple ways of persistence and multiple ways of entry onto the network. So they're not, not just using that initial fish. Okay, and once they are inside of the network, they regularly perform lateral movement and they will spend some time determining the best location to deploy the ransomware. Okay, the fourth phase is deployment. At this stage, the dropper then downloads the actual ransomware and any other additional tools they need to spread the ransomware around. Something like PSExec, uh, we do see PSExec getting used fairly frequently, uh, but we also see them pushing things around using uh, very simple protocols like FTP. Um, we've seen them using PowerShell. Uh, really, there, there's no end to the number of ways that they push malware around depending on what type of security maybe they need to evade. Okay, the ransomware itself will be placed in several lo locations depending on what malware it is and which version it is. Uh, but some common directories are the, uh, the documents and settings default user profile, uh, the public user profile, or slash temp on a, on a Windows machine. Those are very, very common places that we see it. And, uh, and uh, one of the first places that we go look anytime we're, we're doing an examination for malware. Okay, the, Harvard, the credentials that were harvested from the previous phase, right, recon and propagation, are then leveraged to turn around and deploy Ryuk. Uh, sometimes they will modify group policy and they'll actually put together something like a deployment script to push it out to every single desktop that logs in and does a GPO update. That can be particularly nasty, okay? As well as batch file execution. Um, <clears throat> you can actually see a couple of things that we've, we've got the username blanked out there, but that's from a real uh, investigation where they, uh, they actually created a... Uh, um, a malware, they renamed the malware donut.exe. Uh, and this was actually of a, this is a ransom attack against a police station. So they knew exactly where they were. They were making fun of the police by, by calling the malware donut.exe. 
Okay, and then our final phase is actual detonation, right? And execution of malware. So in this case, this was Ryuk. It begins to encrypt systems, it encrypts network shares, and then the encrypted files are then identified by the extension being changed, either .ryu or .ryuk. Uh, ransom notes get dropped into each directory where a file is encrypted. Uh, and again, bear the name Ryuk README, um, and it's either in text format or HTML format. And Ryuk is particularly good about this. It will delete shadow copies, any backups it finds, and does a really good job of, of deleting and overriding the encryption key that it generates so that you can't just do forensics on the box and get your files back. So Ryuk was one of the first ones that really took these, these steps to heart and really made it part of, uh, of what was going on in the, in the landscape. Uh, indicators of compromise. Uh, it's really critical as an incident responder, as a defender, to do your research. Um, I, I spend at least one morning every week just reading up on new stuff. It's just how I stay um, up to date on stuff. Um, if you're defending a network and you're not doing research and seeing, hey, what's out there this week? What's new? What can I expect? I think you're doing it wrong. Um, so stay current by reading blogs and white papers. Um, you know, private industry does a really, really good job of, of you know, putting information out there for everybody to consume. And of course, there's paid feeds and stuff like that as well. But a lot of private companies, not unlike Trustwave, market themselves based on malware research that they do and by producing informative blogs. Uh, you know, if you've heard of Golden Spy, the, uh, the Chinese uh, tax accounting software, there was a huge breakdown in discovery by Trustwave. Uh, we've also had a couple of big, uh, big news breaks with Solar Winds and some new, uh, new uh, exploits that we found or new vulnerabilities that we found in that software, as well as a huge uh, voter data database breach. So, um, stuff like that is out there, and I certainly encourage you all to read it. Um, but private companies have a tendency to release full breakdowns of malware variants when they do the reversing. Uh, and that'll include things like file hashes, file names, uh, unique locations of event logs or different events that happen when a malware is being executed, sometimes even IP addresses or DNS names to look out for, and great information and intel to add into your endpoint solutions or your SIM monitoring, things like that. And then also um, keep in mind that law enforcement task forces like the, the Secret Service and their CFTFs uh, and the FBI as well, um, send out green notices covering variants, um, TTPs, and lots of other great information. So, so tap into that free intel that's out there. Um, this was a really quick research example that, that I would, you know, this is what I'm talking about. If you're looking for IOCs for something specific, a lot of times a quick Google search or, you know, your, your search engine of choice will turn up great stuff like this. You know, a script that's built to deploy services on a system. And these are, again, tied to a specific malware variant. So, you know, if you start seeing some of these things, you can create signatures, you know, Yara searches, all kinds of different stuff uh, where you stand a pretty good chance of catching these things in the act, okay? So that's a sample of what you find when you read blogs and you read uh, malware breakdowns and stuff. And then some more IOCs that were found with a quick search, right? If you go out there and search for Ryuk wallets, you will find some of the most well-known wallets and some of the payments that have been, uh, that have been uh, sent out there. So you can see some Bitcoin addresses here. 
and you can uh, you can start to track those down. You can see if they're related to something. If you happen to be in this this bad case of having Ryuk or uh, you know other malware, and then there's also some known hashes there for uh, for some of the variants. So there's again a ton of great information out there that's available with a quick internet search. Um, ransomware is everywhere. Uh, between ransomware and business email compromise. I think it's it's making up 80 or 85% of all compromises uh, over the last 24 months, last two years. Um, years of poor security hygiene is making the problem worse. And I hate to pick on any one vertical, but state school systems have been uh, really, really terrible about this where they're, they're just behind the curve and that's unfortunate. Uh, my advice is take cybersecurity seriously. Um, implement layers of defense, right? It's not enough to just have antivirus. It's not enough to just have intrusion detection or intrusion prevention. You have to get all of these things working together to really stand a chance. Um, use that free intel. There is a ton of great information and indicators of compromise available from multiple sources out there. Use that stuff. It will make your detections way smarter. Um, the next one I have here is put real effort into tuning your anti-spam technology. At this point, just about everybody's got something, but I feel like not enough organizations are really putting effort into tuning that technology. Spam is still getting through. Phishing emails are still getting through. Put some real effort. Have somebody attack you and send phishing emails and develop signatures and develop defense against that stuff. And then finally, tying right back into that last one is perform real goal-based penetration testing and realistic phishing exercises. It's not enough to just do uh, scans and, and look at your external footprint and say, oh, okay, we don't have anything with a known vulnerability this week. That, that's not enough. That only checks for things that are known about. It doesn't test things like business logic. It doesn't test things like implementation of technology. And it certainly doesn't test um, your people. So that's, that's my real advice there is the realistic fishing exercises and real tuning of your um, security stuff that you have in place. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information on how CareSoft or TrustWave Government Solutions can assist your cybersecurity and ransomware needs, please visit www.caresoft.com slash TrustWave or email us at TrustWave at Thanks again for listening and have a great day.